0: Hello, I'm Ted Te. The Philippines has been under lockdown for over a year now. And so we decided to repost this series we recorded back in September 2020 called Rights Under Lockdown. Here, Robbie Alampay and I look back at the events that took place during the COVID lockdown and its impact on the rights and freedoms of Filipinos.
2: It was the next logical and inevitable step declare a health crisis and then asked Congress for emergency powers.
0: Right, but the provisions in that law were also problematic.
2: Mula po sa Quezon City, ako si Robbie Alampay po
0: And I'm Ted Te, former Supreme Court spokesperson, flag lawyer, and host of the podcast,
2: The Talks. And in this special series of Teca Teca, we look back at events that have taken place during the ongoing COVID lockdown. We talk about how they've impacted not only on public health, not only on the economy, but on the rights and freedoms of Filipinos. The Philippines was the first country in Southeast Asia to adopt lockdown measures the enhanced community quarantine over Luzon island placed stringent social distancing measures and essentially placed all other forms of economic activity on standstill but it did not stop there a week after the lockdown began President Rodrigo Duterte called for a special session in congress the president asked for emergency powers to be able to control supplies and public utilities order businesses to help government and Redirect funds as necessary. Congress met, passed it in a day. They called the law the Bayanihan We Heal As One Act. Now, I suppose, Ted, the move seemed logical and inevitable at that time, totally understandable because the number of COVID cases was starting to rise. But the bigger question was, did the president actually need all that additional power?
0: I think in the whole scheme of things, we're looking at it, from 2020 vision or hindsight. There was probably some need at some point for lessening of restrictions in terms of how to coordinate things. But I don't think emergency powers were needed at that point. Many of the powers that were granted to the president under the emergency powers law were actually powers that the president already had. And Perhaps what was needed at the time was a clear direction, was a clear strategy on how to exercise the powers that were already present in the executive branch.
1: Truly, we live in a highly unusual times. But today, we secretaries and senior officials of the executive branch now come before you, honorable members of Congress, believing that in a time of crisis, the rule of law should prevail. We come before you with the conviction that in the most challenging of times, our democratic institutions are up to the challenge and will prevail. We therefore approach the distinguished members of Congress, the elected legislators of our people, to ask for a law that will enable the president and the executive branch the legal authority to address this crisis in a manner that is free from the restrictions which, while beneficial during normal times, might prove disadvantageous during such an unusual time as this.
0: There were problems with local government units because each local government unit was either unclear about how to proceed, how the powers were to be exercised, or what strategy they were to use. And that's why, across, let's say, Metro Manila or other metropolitan cities, there were problems because some local councils were making their own policies according to how they saw their constituents' needs.
2: And lawmakers included a provision in the Bayanihan Law with intentions of addressing that problem. Section 6A penalizes local government officials who disobey national government policies or directives to impose quarantines. Although it did come as a surprise when mayors who were quick to address the problems in their communities were among those called out for supposedly disobeying government.
0: Yeah, that was problematic because the law itself contained that threat to penalize local government officials, mayors, governors, for example, whose actions or policies would not be consistent with the national Policy It became very difficult, probably, for the local government officials because, of course, they could hear their constituents talking about what they needed. They could themselves make a decision on what they needed. But because national government was saying everything has to be done in the same way through the national government, which makes it much slower, much more difficult, that particular tug of war, as it were, really was not necessary, and it was really counterproductive. The national government wanted all the focus on them, local government officials who were productive, who were clear in their communications, and who were really doing something on the ground. And, of course, news of that started to get more media mileage, started to get more points, started to get better goodwill. And, of course, the perception could not be avoided. That threat, that down, as it were, Government officials was, well, prompted possibly by that. And that's unfortunate because in a a pandemic,
2: you don't need people trying to gain media mileage points. But even the media, even the information coming out online was ironically and indirectly being tempered by government. I'm talking about this provision in Section 6F that penalizes individuals and groups spreading false information about the health crisis on social media. In the initial weeks
0: of the lockdown, what was needed was not less information, but more information. And so that threat in the law really did not help. And of course, it was very broad. You weren't only talking about news. You were talking about information. And information can be data it can be science, it can be a finding in a research paper, it can be an opinion based on a learned study. And so all of those could fall under information. And of course, when you put false before information and you do not provide for a way to, for example, verify, for a way to validate that information before making it a criminal act, then it becomes even more
2: problematic. We recall this one report about a senior high school teacher who was arrested over a post on Twitter as he offered, tongue-in-cheek, a 50 million peso bounty on anyone who can kill the president. This was after Duterte said he would give 50 million pesos to anyone who can come up with a vaccine. And then there was this artist in Cebu City who was arrested over a satiric post on Facebook calling her hometown Zapatera the epicenter of COVID. It was not without basis. COVID cases did skyrocket in Zapatera in just one day, but the mayor would not let it slide, and authorities came knocking at her door at midnight.
0: So in a very direct way, that particular provision, Section 6F, was prior restraint in terms of freedom of the press. It was also a direct threat or a warning to non-media practitioners but those who have you know, public opinion. And in this age of social media, that is almost everyone.
2: Meanwhile, the president was giving his weekly addresses very late at night without the press there to ask questions or clarify some reports. Again, many of these public addresses were being carried out in Malacanang, with no media present, and late at night, although the government did ultimately stream these addresses, although not necessarily live.
0: It was basically smoke and mirrors. You know, under the law, the president himself did not need to make the report. The office of the president could have made the report. The executive secretary could have submitted the report. And we're talking about official documentary reports on the spending under the law. Because one of the powers of Congress is really oversight of the public money that they released under this particular law. And so Congress has the authority and also the duty to not only demand the report from the office of the president, not the president himself necessarily, but the office of the president, to see how the monies were spent. Especially because the president kept saying, wala na siyang pera. And so not only did the president have the duty to report every Monday, but Congress still has the duty. And we have not heard of the report of Congress in the exercise of its oversight function as to the first emergency powers law.
2: Yes. And then a second emergency powers law was passed by a to recover as one. And yet, we are still waiting for the complete accounting for the budget spent during the three months that the first Bayanihan Act was in effect.
0: Many people have spoken at the time that why is there no provision here providing economic safety nets at that time? Because it was pretty clear that this was not going to go away just like that. And the other danger here was the way that the law was passed. You know, there's hardly any debate in terms of this law. Of course. In any emergency powers law, it is always dictated by urgency. But then, it should have been a little bit more open in terms of how the provisions
2: were going to come out. This story is part of a Pan-Asian series on rights repressed during COVID. This project was initiated by the International Media Support. Muli, ako po si Robbie Alampay, PumaPodcast.
0: And I'm Ted Teh. For more podcasts on law and government, listen to TED Talks on Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor or wherever you get your
2: podcasts. This episode was produced by Kat Ventura. It was edited by Mark Basilian. Follow Tekateka on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen.